This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ community radio station, Joy 94.9. Good evening, Pete Dillon. Serena Ryan. How art thou? I'm not bad. How are you? Oh, I'm a bit gay today. <laughs> You're a bit gay every day. <laughs> Didn't we have a lovely time with Paul McDermott last week? Oh, wasn't he a cracker? I thought he was a bit gay too back in the day. Did you? Yeah. I think he's on the wish list of a lot of um, gay mm, men. I thought he might have been on the cusp. Really? Yeah. A little bit mutable? Yeah. Well, I nearly ran him over in the four-wheel drive the other day. Awesome. Because I'm, you know, hooting down Flinders Street like a mad woman possessed in that truck of ours. And um, he was trying to hail a taxi, and I thought he was waving, so I sort of started to pull over. Realised that why would he be waving at me in a four-wheel drive that you can't see in the windows anyway? Mm. And um, almost took him off the side of the pavement. Oh, that would have been a great loss to the comedy world. We did enjoy chatting <laughs> it with him. Would have been a bit rude after we'd done a nice interview with him to then but run least, him over. Yeah, but at least we got the interview first. Look, we've got a good show tonight. We've got a couple of cracking interviews. We do. We do. We we're, we are mourning the death of Australian rock legend Ms. Chrissy Amphlett. Yeah, first at just song fifty-three, tonight. and that's only just. Well, a few years older than you and I. It's ten years older than me, Pete. That's oh, more well. than a few. <laughs> Nine years older than me, but still, I'm closer to 53 than I am to 30. Well, she had MS and she had breast cancer, mm. and I saw this this very sad grab of an interview that she did where she found out that she got that she had breast cancer, and she's like, "Really, really, you're going to give me that as well?" Yeah. And it was a tremendous battle she fought, and 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 such a dreadful loss. Delightful woman, and it's it's sad that at at 53 she's gone because she contributed so much for for decades really to the music industry. I sort of feel like maybe she lived five or six lives, so mm. that when she died, she might have been 53 in human years, but her body may have been about 104 mm. because she, she partied hard. hard. Oh, she Went hard. She made a huge contribution. She had a beautiful book written about her a couple of years ago that she was very involved in writing, and it's 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 quite lovely. I think you should read it. Okay. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy ninety four point nine. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. Hi, you're listening to Paul McDermott with Serena and Pete on Joy FM ninety four point nine. It's better than sex, baby. It's better than sex, baby. You listen to three. It certainly is better than sex, and in fact, it's a, near coming up to a quarter past seven. Mm, I disagree that it's better than sex. Well, oh, I do too, but you know, we, we've we, got to give we, him we his time in the large. sun. Got to give him his time in the sun. Look, uh, look, Pete, we've been following a news item out of Toowoomba. Uh, we picked it up from the Chronicle, and it it uh, charts the course of um, a, a young woman's volunteer role at the Salvation mm. Army, and her name is Kim Polzen. And uh, Kim's making the statement that that she's been sacked because of her sexuality and or tattoos. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Kim on the phone tonight. Thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Tell us your story about uh, your time with the Salvos, Kim, and where it all went wrong. Well, the time with Salvos, I was there for two and a half years. Um, I did it literally off my own back. It was not court-ordered or anything else. Um, and honestly, I don't know where it went all wrong. I... So, so how did one minute it was all good and the next minute it was bad? Kim, I'm just curious how how you've been in an organisation for two and a half years volunteering your time, and then all of a sudden 
bang, you're told, that's it, don't come back, we don't wish to see you? I wasn't even personally told not to come back. My sister came round and said, you don't have a job. Okay, so so walk us through your relationship with the Salvos. What led you to to go and offer your time, as you say, off off your own back and, you know, free and unencumbered? I am on a disability support pension and as a means to get out of the house once, twice a week, I was volunteering my time. That way I was having a social aspect as well as having something to do. I mean, it sounds psychologically like a really sound decision. Um, do you feel at any point that there was conversations around your sexuality or your appearance or anything like that? Did you ever feel that you were, you know, perhaps treated a little differently? And I'm not trying to lead you on here. I'm, I'm just trying to get I was, clear. I was treated as the butt of quite a few jokes. Give us an uh, example. Some of the older women uh, couldn't sit anywhere near me because they thought I was going to hit on them. Oh, and then <laughs> or they could catch it. Yeah. And mm. they're on, like, 60-plus years of age, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. I'm mm. sorry, but I have a limit. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're fed up, not hard up. So there's a, there's a situation where you think because of their bigotry that um, they conjured a, um, a, a personality clash or a, a, a started reporting a, a breach of the Code of Conduct? Yes, I do. Quite so, literally. So have you been informed what part of the Code of Conduct that you breached? No, not at all. And tell me, Kim, um, is there a warning system? So, so most organisations have a, a, a well, verbal warning, a written warning, and then a sit-down warning, and then a see you later, we're done. Did you get any of that sort of... I had one where I was pulled upstairs because I supposedly had sworn in front of a customer, mm-hmm. and that was the only other time I'd been pulled upstairs to talk to anyone. Um, basically, it went from that to your fired. And you're fired as a volunteer, and in a time where organisations are screaming for volunteers, you've been fired as a volunteer, which is... It's definitely different. Mm. Kim, I spoke to um, Major Neil Dixon, who is the Communications and PR Secretary for the South Queensland Division of the Salvation Army this afternoon, um, because I was curious about this story and and why uh, you were asked not to return or or fired, we'll we'll call it what what you will. Um, Now... He has provided us with a statement, and we'll, we'll read the statement further. And he said, for for the reasons of confidentiality, that he couldn't tell me exactly why you had been fired. But I was just curious um, to, to find out his reasons. He mentioned that um, that there is a code of conduct that you agreed to, and that the breach of the code of conduct may have had to deal with either um, any one of a number of things. Like He had spoke very, very broadly that could have dealt with language, it could have dealt with um, reacting or working with authority. How do you react to those two points, that your language was inappropriate or you... My language has never been inappropriate. I do not swear in front of my workmate. Um, And as for anything else, I don't believe I've done anything wrong. Like, if they'd answer my question and give me an honest reason as to why I was fired, I would be happy. But when I went in there Friday to see them, I got told point blank, get out, you are not welcome. 
Okay, so you've not been given any form of natural justice because it sounds like you're prepared to accept if there's an issue with your behaviour that they can prove, then, you would, then you'd cop that sweet. But it sounds yes. like you've simply been given some information through a, a third party, that which is your sister, yep. and you've been told that you... You'd, uh, uh, that that you're no longer welcome, and and you know their doctrine states that no person is excluded from worship, fellowship, fellowship or service on the basis of sexuality. Um, so they've sent us a statement that that Pete will give you a bit more information on in in response to your claims. Mm. Um, as I said, I spoke to Major Neil Dixon, who's the communications and PR secretary, who was quoted in the same article in the Chronicle, and I'll just read you the statement. I'm not authorised to elaborate further, other than this general statement. We'd like to reassure your listeners that people in all of our social services and churches across Australia, the Salvation Army cares for and welcomes people into our centres and provides support without ever discriminating against a person because of sexuality as well as religion or race. Um, It goes on. Our organisation includes and wholeheartedly welcomes many gay and lesbian colleagues as well as their family members and friends. Please be assured that the Salvation Army believes every individual is of infinite value to be cherished, nurtured and preserved. No person is excluded from worship, fellowship or service in the Salvation Army based on the basis of sexuality. Uh, no person is excluded from employment and no person is excluded from volunteering for those same reasons. Um, and he finishes with that, I'd like to emphasise the Salvation Army's work has always been underpinned by the tremendous contributions of our volunteers. They are the lifeblood of what we do. How does that all sound to you? Sounds like a load of hogswash, to put it politely. Because I would question whether or not if they believe in the individual being of infinite value that is to be cherished, nurtured and preserved, um, I would question where that those elements are in the way that you've been treated around your exit. I mean, we can't comment on what it is that their claim is against you, but there doesn't seem to be any nurturance or any cherishing of, of the service that you did provide for two and a half years. No, not at all. I feel like I have been treated worse than a second-class citizen. And you believe that's because of your sexuality? And my tattoos, yes. And your tattoos. I, I have a memorial tattoo that goes from top of my shoulder down to my wrist on my right arm. My very dear friend died six years ago of suicide. Now, I have painstakingly put it together over the last six years, spent an absolute fortune on it. I've never been up top on the floor with customers, etc. I've always worked out the back. So they can't turn around and tell me that I did not present well because I didn't go to work in a pair of short shorts and a singlet. Mm. I always went to work with a sleeve shirt that would go mid way down to the elbow and long jeans. Always. So always wear boots and I was always well presented. So I you're never quite tidy. So, Kim, by, by, by telling your story, what, what do you want? What's the outcome for you? I wanted a true and just answer. I wanted to be spoken to with a little bit of respect. I'm not expecting them to re-employ me because, quite honestly, now I wouldn't go back to them. I just wanted some respect. I can treat them with respect. Why couldn't they treat me with the same? Well, you turned up regularly for two and a half years. You, As a volunteer. You, you know, you mm. gave your time for free and it, it sounds like you're walking away feeling quite quite burnt by the experience. I'm extremely burnt by the experience because they have proven themselves to me to be a complete pack of bigots. Like, they have numerous older people there. I was literally the youngest volunteer there who was not court-ordered. I did nothing but bounce around and try and help everybody evenly and equally, and this is my thank you. I'm like, you've got to be joking. 
Mm. Kim, are there other organisations in and around Toowoomba that you could volunteer for so you can find Perhaps that, a gay and lesbian find that camaraderie and, and that I place to go and be social? I a gay and lesbian association here in town, but quite honestly, there is realistically not. Maybe it's there time was, to start one. You've got a bit of time on your hands? <laughs> I have a heap of time on my hands, but I'm also trying to move. So. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of the St Vincent de Pools, but I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Well, look, keep us posted, Kim, on, on how that all goes. We appreciate your time this evening and for your for your candour and honesty in this discussion. And we do hope you get the answers that you're looking for from the Salvation Army and that this interview goes in some way towards helping you get that resolution. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Take very time. good care, mate. You too. Have a good evening. You t- thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Look, it's it's rotten when your your life as a volunteer or perhaps your definition of what you do and how you value yourself is just thrown away. away. I mean, mm. I, you know, we don't know what went on, right? No, no. But what's very clear is that her exit has not been managed gracefully. Well, that, I think that's the, the biggest issue here. The, um, Neil Dixon from the Salvation Army actually said that he has a, a gay son who's done a thesis about um, being gay or being homosexual in, in the Salvation Army um, and being brought up in a family of Salvation Army um, major and, and his wife and um, their son's written a, a thesis and they, they're, they're quite accepting as a family and encourage um, their son. So I'm... Not sure that speaks to the governance that hasn't been Oh, no, no, no. I don't think it speaks yeah. to the governance. I think it's sort of... I don't know whether it addresses addresses. The, the perceived homophobia either. I just sort of wanted to throw that in because we don't want to be silvo-bashing. Um, we've encountered the Salvation Army before in an interview. And, um, and we they do- know who we are. Yeah, we don't want to be seen to be... Um, but I think if there's an opportunity to call them into account here, mm. then... I think it's our obligation to do that. It's not about her sexuality. This sounds like a process issue mm, around governance. managing mm. the governance behind managing her exit. So, look, we wish her the best of luck and we, we do, do hope indeed. that she that she tunes in and, and drops us a line and let us know how she's yes. going. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Dr Meredith Doig is the president of the Rationalist Society of Australia. She's an advocate for the separation of church and state and agrees with the notion that religious organisations should not be exempt from paying tax, especially in agencies that make a profit or provide welfare, employment and education services that may discriminate against GLBT people. She joins us on the phone this evening. Dr Meredith Doig, good evening. Good evening. It's lovely to have you on the line with us tonight. Meredith, um, have you had a chance to look at the story surrounding the the lady Kim Polson, who we spoke with a little earlier, a volunteer with the Salvos, who's recently been sacked? Yes, I've read the uh, the media story anyway. And your, your take on that? Well, look, it was a bit difficult to understand from what was written in the newspaper um, what the facts of the case were. But I guess my view is that that's the problem, that um, organisation, religious organisations um, are not subject to the same sort of accountability and transparency requirements as other organisations. So in a case like this, um, well, could you say that she's been sacked? I guess I associate the word sacked with somebody who's in an employment situation. She, as I understand it, was a volunteer, Mm. volunteering her services, and they have said, well, thank you very much, but we don't want your services anymore. Um, But it's a bit difficult to know what the reasons for uh, that decision 
buy to sell those really were because there's no accountability. They don't have to say in a public space um, why they made that decision. And so, they, they you know, can... We're, we're a bit stuck. We just know. And they can, in, in a sense, plead, um, as they'd say in America, plead the fifth. You know, the, the, I don't have to speak and there's a confidentiality uh, clause around this or a confidentiality status around this, given that this is our relationship with somebody who is in volunteer or paid in an employed role. And we, we've seen in other situations to do with religious organisations whereby they stand behind the confidentiality requirements. We've also seen that that on occasions can mean hiding some very nasty uh, secrets. Look, I think you've touched on something that we are following as a news item, and that is the Royal Commission, obviously, around some of the secrets that these religious organisations have held quite dear to them. I'm interested to hear a bit more about the Rationalist Society, because Pete and I are very much of the belief that there needs to be a separation of church and state, and, and, and issues like the one that's come up with Kim Polson point to... Other indicators that perhaps not all is right with the way religious freedom is is rolled out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, I mean in the rational. First of all, we we're Australia's oldest free thought group. We've been going since 1906. We've had ups and downs during a couple of world wars and so on, but uh, we. Um, are, this is my elevator speech, we're in favour of science and evidence as opposed to superstition and bigotry. And I say that because I want to make it clear that we're not necessarily anti-religion. We're pro-secular. And by that I mean we're pro in favour of the separation between church and state. And what that really means in practice is that governments ought not to privilege religion and certainly not privilege a particular denomination of religion but that indeed is what is happening and has been happening over the last 10 to 15 years and and we've seen that influence very strongly in politics with a, a great many of our politicians adhering to religion and bringing religion into their thought processes when they're representing constituents and therefore there's a very, very large blur, particularly around and, and another story that is, is very close to our hearts is the equal marriage debate where mm-hmm. people are saying, you know, politicians are saying, but my religion would dictate this, where in fact they're not there to represent a religion, they're there to re- represent a voter base. And yet you can see in New Zealand that when they were given a free vote, there was a very large majority of individuals in the New Zealand parliament who voted in favour of equal marriage. Look, It is a political choice by Tony Abbott to muzzle the people on position in the coalition uh, and not to allow them to have a free uh, vote on this matter. Look, I I think you've you've made a really good point there, but I would also apportion some of this debate and its responsibility at the foot of the Prime Minister, who is, for all intents and purposes, a self-proclaimed atheist, Mm -hmm. but regurgitating religious tenets around her opposition. And I've always maintained that I didn't vote her based on who she is. I voted for her to roll out the the majority of views that are supported in the Australian community. And another good example uh, of where the current government and previous governments have not been listening to the voter base is the whole issue of dying with dignity. We know in Victoria, for example, that um, over 80% of the population want uh, to decriminalise the idea of physician-assisted suicide, where there is 
um, people facing the end-of-life decisions. And yet the politicians who, in my view, are beholden to various churches, maybe the Catholic Church, it may be the Anglican Church, it may be the Uniting Church, but they are worried about uh, the backlash from big religion where a clear majority of the people actually want these uh, legislative changes. And I, I guess this moves us to the, the next part of this story that we wanted to discuss with you is the, is the exemption from paying tax. Um, this, I watched the project last night and that sort of brought you to our attention in that um, you know, there, there's more than a billion dollars a year that could be raised... Uh, by taxing religious organisations that could pay for the Royal Commission, for example, uh, into child sexual abuse. What, what's the stance from, from the Rationalist Society and, and from you, Meredith, around the, these tax exemptions for religious organisations? Well, two things. One, uh, the amount of money that is um, basically transferred by taxpayers to religious organisations, that's under question. You've mentioned a figure of billion. I've seen figures of 10 billion a year. We don't really know because there's not good data, but it's a lot of money. Secondly, even if it were 10 billion, I would suggest that um, not all of that money would be saved if we taxed religious organisations. And for this reason, there is weirdness, and we uh, acknowledge that a lot of the work that religious organisations do is good charitable work. It makes a difference. But our argument is they don't do that um, under the uh, definition... Sorry. There is There are a number of definitions of charity and one of them is the advancement of religion. So churches are automatically exempt from tax because of that definition of religion. There are other definitions. Sorry, definition of t- charity. There are other definitions of charity, including the release of poverty or the advancement of education. Our argument is that a lot of the good work that the Salvos do and Mission Australia does, all the other religiously-based charities, they would still be tax-exempt, but not because they were advancing religion, not because they are religious organisations, but because they do good welfare work. Mm. And that's what we're suggesting. Um, Even if let's say the amount of uh, transfer of taxpayers' money is $10 billion. Probably $8 billion of that would still be transferred to these organisations, but because they are doing really useful social welfare work to relieve poverty or to advance education. But we don't believe that the advancement of religion, that is, teaching people that there is some supernatural being... We don't believe in this day and age that that's an appropriate use of taxpayers' money. Under that definition, by the way, organisations like the Scientologists um, are tax-exempt because they have been defined by the tax office as being a religion. And they're certainly the ones that probably are the closest to the supernatural theory. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and I would, I would, I would hazard to guess and publish and be damned. The, the spectrum. But look, Christian churches, uh, Islamic churches, um, Hindus, um, they all, their religions believe in a supernatural being. And therefore, any organization um, that promotes advances, belief in a supernatural being, is supported by taxpayers' money. 
We just think that this is inappropriate in this day and age. I think we would strongly agree with you there, Meredith. If we, if we talk about charity and, and the very flexible definition of charity, let's throw homosexuality into the mix of that charity. Mm-hmm. How does that provision of service change? Because it's our experience that it's very hit and miss for these religious organisations to actively promote service provision or inclusion to people who are of the homosexual position. Yeah, look, I guess my view about that issue is this. I think you have to be careful about generalising about all religious organisations. There are a wide variety of spectrums within religious organisations, and I would suggest that there are some religious organisations who reach out to um, all sorts of people, including the GLBT community, and they see that as part of their mission. They Mm. see that, for example, as what Jesus would have done. There are other religious organizations who who take the Bible or the Quran or whatever their uh, holy book might be very literally, and those are the ones who tend to be um, bigoted against people who are different in our society. And yet that's that's also a cherry-picking thing from that Bible because, you know, you're not supposed to eat prawns and and pork, and I I know a great many religious people that do. Um, Meredith, we do have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because we are out of time. We're very, very grateful for for your input, and I think we'd like to both sort of have you back again too. I think you should come back in and do a a live uh, deal with us. We'd love to pick your brain for an hour because I think we'd probably have a lot to discuss. I'd love to do that, and can I just uh, say to your listeners that we've actually... Uh, developed a manifesto for reclaiming a secular Australia. You can see it on our website, which is just rationalist.com.au. Um, and it covers uh, the law, education, children, healthcare, sex and sexuality, dying with dignity and society generally. So I'd encourage people who are interested in these sorts of issues to go to our website, have a look at our manifesto. Be very happy to come back and talk to you about that anytime. Thank you. We've been chatting with Dr Meredith Doig, who is the President of the Rationalist Society of Australia. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. She's a very smart lady. She's a she? very intelligent woman and a very nice woman, I think. Somebody I'd like to, to spend some more time with. This is Salt and Pepper here on Joy 94.9. Stick with us. There's much more to come. Ethel Chop here. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Idiot. Oh, she's a very cranky girl, Pete. It's 18 minutes to eight. It is. It we're is. hurtling along. Well, we're almost done. It's almost time for an ice cream. Um... We're going to have a little bit of a look at a, a mental health issue. Mm. A column by Jill Stark. Uh, she writes for the Sunday Age um, that uh, popped up onto my desk the other day. And um, I just was uh, curious because it's 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 about um, mental health groups pointing a finger at churches over gay aversion therapy. Now, we know that this is something that's been going on for decades, but it's interesting Chris Tanty was um was quoted from Headspace and we thought we should chat to him around some of the mental health issues that exist uh, for young people coming out, particularly when they gr- they grow up in religious households. And also what the impact of these reparative therapies are, mm. because uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was the night that you were away, we, we did report the uh, the suicide of a, a man in his 40s who was mm. unable to reconcile his uh, his view at a religious level with his homosexuality, and, and sadly he ended his own life. So Chris Tanty is the CEO of Headspace, mm. and he's joining us right now on the phone. Good evening, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure, Chris. Um, 
you you quoted in this article. I I think what you say is very valid, Chris. That um, the main fear that young people face when they're coming out, particularly those that grow up in Pentecostal or religious families, that is that they're not going to be accepted by their own kin. And I think that probably one of the hardest things for a young kid to accept as as much as their friends or their their peers. It's it's how their families will react. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think this is the hardest thing for, I mean, certainly a lot of young people that I've worked with in the past, the the tension was always going to be, how are mum and dad going to feel about it? Less concerned about their siblings, but certainly how are mum and dad going to feel about it? And what is, you know, what's the likely outcome of that? And, and there is a lot of catastrophizing about um, how mum and dad might react, uh, and 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 mostly it sort of works out, but sometimes it doesn't, um, and and it can be very difficult for young people who who are already already in a sort of complex um, uh, developmental phase anyway, you know, in terms of identity formation and all those sorts of things, um, but this this immediately puts them outside the mainstream. Um, and so if there isn't that support in place, then then things can go terribly wrong. Look, I think we, we, we hear about that in our community all too often, which is a really sad indictment on the number of lives that are being impacted on these sorts of therapies that we're talking about tonight. It strikes me, Chris, that young people are particularly vulnerable for all of those reasons that you've just listed. But, you know, that... that, that period of time when you're a teenager and you're forming your sense of self but also hormonally things are just absolutely bonkers and and, and integrating that at a hormonal level but also where you find your attachment and and where you benchmark how you're meant to be is is terribly skewed when you put a sexuality overlay on top it's hard enough but then with the religious stuff that comes in I, I mean I would suggest that young people are terribly at risk if they're repairing therapy is 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 actually introduced at that point yeah no i i would absolutely agree with that but i think there's you know from from my perspective um it is very natural for people to obviously um have questions around their sexual identity and um and it is very natural for people to be straight or gay um or bi i mean you know or or, or gender questioning i you know i, I these are, these are common things that I think we all um, we all uh, sort of faced with during our adolescent period, and and to be subjected to um, you know the sort of I mean I don't know a, a lot about conversion therapy, but I don't, frankly don't want to know a lot about it. Uh, I, you know, I mean my view is that it's it's ultimately harmful and. Uh, and you know, interestingly enough, in psychiatry for years and years and years, um, being same-sex attracted was seen as a disorder. Um, it is no longer seen, thankfully, as a disorder. It's been removed from the DSM four, I believe. Yeah, it has, and 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 this is you know this is this was a long time ago, um, and you know, and I think there are those in. Um, you know, in religious organisations that have some sympathy for. Um, for this view, but the institutions themselves just, just uh, you know, well, don't have a contemporary view of it at all. They, they are archaic in, in their structure. They are archaic in their doctrine. You know, most of the doctrines we're talking about, are, 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 at least 
hundreds and hundreds of years old. Um, it's it's been proven that that aversion therapies don't work. There's a, a there's no scientific evidence that actually supports it. In fact, the scientific evidence would probably um, point to the, the fact that they're an abject failure. So why why would you think that that churches would still continue to try to to encourage aversion therapy or conversion therapy, what or reparative therapy we can call it any any one of those things. Um, in in a modern society in, in 2013, one wonders why they would still subscribe to that sort of thinking. I, I think it's a really good question, and it's probably a question that um, is is um, better positioned with those sorts of um, institutions. But you know, I I, I think this is a uh, you know there's a bloody mindedness here around adhering to um, a particular doctrine and and um, and and holding those beliefs to be so true as to do damage to people. I mean, it's 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 quite odd, isn't it? I mean, I, and and you know, when some of these things are resolved quite simply, in my experience, in in my experience of working with young people, there, there's a there's a discussion, there's a you know, there's an opportunity for the young person to to sort of work their way through their insecurities and their concerns and you know and their hopes around how they're going to be accepted uh, and and then of course there's the action bit where they start coming out and they start talking about who they are and, and some of that goes well and some of it doesn't go well but generally the process needs to be one of empowerment not disempowerment and and I think that's what that's where this therapy gets I mean it's not therapy Frankly, it's not um, therapy at all. It's, it's, it's not. It's not therapy. It's not. It's not. A, it's not therapeutic, and and this is, you know, and 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 when we call it therapy, you know, I'm, I mean, I just sort of cringe, because because I, it, it gives us a, it gives it a status that that uh, is unwarranted. It almost implies a credibility, and where there is none. Yeah. No. It it, it does. And and I I would agree with your assessment. I mean, you know, which is not to say that people who perform this sort of um, this sort of thing don't think that they're you know I think they think they're doing the right thing. Um, but uh, this is not a therapy that I would subscribe to. Chris, in terms of headspace and the clinical service provision that 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 your service is offering, are there a lot of young people coming through the doors who are expressing some concerns around their sexuality and and or the pressure to commit to religious dogma in a way that they're uncomfortable with? Look, I couldn't I couldn't speak specifically to the oh sure to, we, no. to the religious component mm. of it, but certainly with a headspace, we know that thirty three percent of our client group, and we we have done a lot of um, work in um, in the community to advertise the fact that we're available to the community. So thirty three percent of those who are online are say sex attracted or or um, questioning. Um, which is really, really interesting. That's a really high number. Um, so, which is great. Which means that you know, uh, the, the highest, one of the highest risk groups in the community, um, is getting the message that there's help, which mm. is terrific. So, I want to um, move. Oh, sorry. Go, no, on. go on. Go on. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to move on to 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 families. How do we educate families to accept the kids? You know, one of the one of the biggest arguments against marriage equality um, and and allowing equal marriage to to people who consent to one another is, you know, what about the children? Isn't it going to ruin the, ruin the children? But it seems that these religious folk are, all, are becoming hypocritical in their sense because they're already ruining their, their own children um, by 
by making them feel so uncomfortable. So I'm sort of, how do we educate families to to understand that that you know, gay is not come from the devil? Um, it's a question I often ask myself, and I'm, not, and I'm not convinced I have the answers. But you know, in my, in my own experience, it, it you know, I mean, certainly what we see on a daily basis, uh, you know, um, people that have grown up in 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 standard households who have some significant problems, and and who have those problems because of their family of origin. Um, mm. So, I, I don't think being same-sex attracted or um, or straight actually um, empowers you with you know the the skills to raise your children appropriately. Mm, no, it's just that, I, that 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 whole hypocrisy of the argument that us no, getting married it, will 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 ruin children and and break them and damage them, and yet these children in religious households that are GLBT are are themselves being ruined and damaged by the people, the very people that are saying that we will destroy children. Well, it's, 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 it's just fear, isn't it, really? I mean, mm. it, it's nothing else but fear and... and um, ignorance. And, and ignorance. Mm. And so it's a complete lack of exposure to... Um, to the reality. But I think what you've tapped on here, Chris, is something very interesting is that f- fear and re- fear and religion are closely linked. And yes, if you if, if you if you deploy that on a vulnerable young person who is questioning their sexuality, they don't necessarily need to be gay um, or or identify in any other way. I think that's a recipe for self-harm, at-risk behaviour and obviously the index of suspicion for suicide is increased mightily, yeah, ab- I would well, have thought. Ab- absolutely. So when you when you look at the data on same-sex attracted um, young people, um, they consume um, more drugs than the average. They consume more alcohol. They're four times more likely to suicide. Um, you know, I mean, these are... And they're more likely to self-harm. These are horrendous... Um, horrendous things that actually we can reverse mm. and, and, it, and it is about it is you know as you say um when, when you, it is it is hard enough for a young person to come out and when they've been bombarded by heterosexual images since the day they were born it is hard enough for them to accept that they might be different to um to others the norm uh, to to the norm um, mm. or, or what we would consider, you know, what society might consider to be the norm. And I, I think um, therein lies therein lies our answer, Chris, that we have to change society's perception of normal before we can we can hope to, to win this battle. Mate, we're really, really grateful for your time. Chris Tanti is the CEO of Headspace. Um, I hope we can chat to you again soon. You need to come into the studio when you're back in Melbourne. I'm, I'm happy to. I've just arrived in Bunbury. The call was perfectly timed. I got into my hotel room. Um, but the, the only thing I will say is... is it's about the acceptance of difference, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's diversity. You know, it's it's diversity, absolutely. And we have this same discussion about refugees and immigrants and you know people who are same sex attracted. It's it's fear and you know and diversity is actually a good thing. And I think we need to be educated along those lines from a very early age. Wise words from Chris Tanty of Headspace. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy your evening. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. 
Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.